Well, good morning, Grace Cadets. I'm not sure what that makes me, but um, I have to admit this morning I'm a little bit intimidated. Uh, Gary is out of town on his sabbatical. Am I allowed to say that, Don? Is that what I say? I don't know how this works. But anyway, so you've noticed we've had some, some different preachers. Uh, two weeks ago was Jerry, and he's a lawyer. And then last week was Jonathan, and he was a forensics IT computer guru. And next week is Cecil, who is an IT genius as well. And right in between, you have me. Um, and I'm a youth pastor, and I've been a carpenter. So it's just a little bit intimidating. My name's Will Hoffman, um, and, and that's who I am. So just a couple things to get out of the way. Anybody, when you were growing up, did you ever say, when I'm a grown-up, I'll never do blank? Anybody ever do that? Like you see the old people doing something, and you say, uh, my wife actually has a little logbook of how we're going to treat the in-laws, and so we would write down what our in-laws did to us and say, we'll never do it. Well, sometimes when you get to the age, you do exactly what you said you'd never do. And so I'm going to show you a picture that proves I'm doing exactly what I said I'd never do. Um, this is my granddaughter. Her name is Hayden, and she was born a week and a half ago. And I said I would never be the grandpa that shows pictures everywhere. But it's the first one. So, you know, give me a break. The thing when you have a grandbaby, there's a couple things going on. The first one is you've got this son-in-law or an in-law that enters into the gene pool. And so you're really just kind of wondering, is the kid going to be cute? And, and I would say the child passed muster. The genes of this in-law weren't too bad. But the second question you want to ask is, what kind of parents will they be? Will they be stodgy parents? You've all seen the new parents who won't let you touch your child unless you use the hand sanitizer, and they got a million books on how to do it. Well, I want you to see a video that just puts my heart at such peace that my daughter and my son-in-law have turned out to be good parents. Check this out. Touchdown. I raised my kids right. They know how to train a baby. Now, Larry did point out it shouldn't have been disco. It should have been like Van Halen or something. But Larry, we'll pray for your pagan soul because Van Halen's not a nice band. Anyways, that's a joke. He's not a pagan. I get it. I know. Um, so we're, we're kind of um, not really in a series, but we've got some different guys coming in. But I found it interesting as I was getting ready that um, last week, remember what Jonathan talked about? You'd better, because you walked out of here with a proverb in your mind that you were going to apply. And if you remember, he wanted us to choose a proverb. He wanted us to put it in our mind. And then what did he want us to do with it? Live it out. Remember, he, he talked about if all you did was put a proverb in your mind, if all you did was talk about it, it's not going to accomplish anything. But the idea is that we put it in our mind, and then our mind controls our actions. Two weeks ago, when Jerry was up here, he quoted Proverbs 23, 7 that says, As a man thinketh, so he is. And so we have a biblical example that says, What you think about is what you become. And I think it's critical that we consider the mind of Christ. A lot of times in life, we talk about the heart of God, uh, we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, and those are all good things, right? 
But I think sometimes, especially as Christians in our culture, we, we kind of let go of the mind aspect. I don't know how to say it nice, but I meet a lot of Christians that their thinking doesn't necessarily reflect how they act and, and how they feel. A lot about the emotions, and so if we're not careful, we can become really passionate, emotional Christians, but maybe not live it out or think it out. Uh, I've seen Christians that are all about the acts, and if we're not careful on that, the acts are good, but we can become moralistic, legalistic Christians. And so I want to propose to you that the mind is where it all starts. And so psychologists, now some of you are like, don't say the word psychologist in church, but hang on, I got a biblical text to back me up, relax, okay? Or email Gary right now, that's great. See see if he answers you on his sabbatical, I don't know how that works. But psychologists tell us that what we think determines what we feel, which then determines how we act. Another way to put it is that we're dealing with the head, the heart and the hands. Everyone do that with me. Ready? Head, heart, and hands. And so what I want to focus on today is the head, where it begins in the head. Now, my biblical support that I want to take you to, if you want to turn to Romans 1, 21 through 23, we have an example of what happens when the head, heart, and hands are not working together. And so in Romans 1, 21 to 23, excuse me, I need reading glasses. After all, I am a grandpa. It says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their what? In their thinking, in their minds, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And then it goes on, if you read on, to describe various sins that they act out. And so in Romans 1, we see this progression that their minds become foolish, their hearts are darkened, and then they're giving over to lust and different things. And so again, it's head, heart, and hands. So I want to give you an example of it. I'm going to pick on a few people on this one. Um, I have a neighbor and good friend. His name is David Ripley. Um, and, and we grew up in Idaho or, you know, lived in Idaho and we loved backpacking. So one day I was telling him about it, showing him pictures. And, and for whatever reason, he just kind of became obsessed. Like, I want to go backpacking. And so I said, have you ever been? He said, no. And so I'll be real honest. I don't know where to backpack in Texas. I have not figured it out. Like we keep hunting. Um, but Mark Bush sitting back there, I think Mark, there he is, big beard. So Mark Bush told me, Hey, there's a place in Arkansas about four hours away. It's beautiful. There's about a four-hour hike in, and so I began thinking, man, let's take the youth group there, because if I'm going to get paid to hang out with kids, I may as well do something I love as well as the kids. I mean, I love the kids, but, you know, go back. So I told my neighbor about it, and my neighbor just got pumped. He's like, dude, I'm going to go there. And I said, well, that's great. If you do, you can scout it out and see what's up. And so life was good. Never been backpacking, going to do a four-mile hike. Well, then a few weeks later, Mark said, oh, by the way, There's a 26.3-mile loop that's part of that four-mile hike. And what I should have done, it says, Mark, you're a nut. I'm not going to tell anybody about that. But I went home because, you know, I just want to be honest. And I told my neighbor, hey, there's a 26.3-mile loop. Guess what he decided? Never been back. So check this picture out because it is beautiful. I'm not going to tell you where it's at uh, because this is kind of Mark's secret place, and I don't think I get to blab it out. Now, here's the deal. So he got back last night. He did a 26.3-mile loop. 
He got there late Thursday night, hiked in about a mile, camped, and then basically in two days finished 25 miles. Crazy. And so I asked him about it. I said, how on earth did you do it? And guess what he said? It was all up here. It was my mind, my determination to do it, which led to some passion, which led to me doing it. Now, some of you are going, man, that's impressive. It gets better. So check out this next picture. On day two, about four miles in, the soles on his shoes came off, and he had on his backpack a pair of Tevas, or what you in Texas called Chacos, and he hiked 22 miles in a pair of sandals. He looked like an old man from Florida wearing socks and sandals, and he hiked 22 miles. And again, I asked him, I said, how on earth do you finish something like that? And he said, it was all in my mind. I kept telling myself, I have to go on. And, and, and my feelings were kind of rearing up, going, am I going to make it? Am I going to get stuck in the wilderness? Am I not going to be able to go on? What happens when I have to tell Will and Mark Bush I didn't make the 26-mile loop? And his mind ruled over his body. He said by the end, it was literally one foot in front of the other. And so I want to suggest to us that for you and I, what we think in our mind will determine our feelings and it will drive our actions as well. Romans 12.2 also tells us, we, we see support of this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of what? Sometimes we jump right to heart, we jump right to actions, but it says renew your mind. Then, and some of you are going, well, what's the big deal about the mind? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anybody ever want to know God's will? What does this passage tell us to do first? Renew our minds. And so I want to present to you that the way we renew our minds is we put on the mind of Christ. And so Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I want to give you an outline, and Isaiah is going to come up and read it. We basically have an outline. I just want you to kind of look for this as we go through. Uh, verse 1 gives the condition. Now, I know when I say that, some people say, well, you know, God's love and, and the Bible's all unconditional. That's not true. There are condition after condition in the Bible that says, if you do this, then this will happen. So verse 1 gives its condition. Verse 2 gives a command. Not optional. He's going to tell us what to do. Verse 3, very practical, says how to do it. So some of you are like, you know, like, let's cut to the chase. If I want the mind of Christ, how do I do it? And then verse 5 and 8, I love it, gives us the example. And, and, and if you look at it, in the example is the power. And then finally, verse 9 through 11 shows the reward. So Isaiah, can you read this for us? So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Isaiah. Let's pray. Father, we just pray as we look at this passage. I, I thank you that as I come up here, and, and I'm just a guy, uh, I think today what we're having is more of a conversation than a sermon. Um, but thank you that your word is living and active and does not return void. And so just by virtue of reading your word right now, uh, we have all that we need for a godly and holy life. So I pray that anything I say wouldn't distract from your word, but it would add to it and that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. Because without you, uh, this is just a big mumbling and a wah-wah conversation. So be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so hopefully as we went through, you kind of saw the outline there. And the condition is triggered by what? What what word usually tells us there's a condition? If, right? And so it says, if there's any of these things. And we have several things that pop up. The first one, if there is any encouragement in Christ. And really, when I talk about a conversation, my, my hope is that as we walk through this, you'll think about these things and take inventory. So I want to ask the question, do you have any encouragement in being united with Christ? Okay. Maybe you don't. I'll be honest with you, and I'll talk about it in a minute. There was a time in my life where following Christ felt discouraging. I lived in the world, I partied, I did things I shouldn't have done, and I know we like to, in the church, think that everyone out there is miserable and hates their life. I I was pretty happy in my life. I never felt guilt. I never felt shame. I did what I wanted, and life was good. Then I come to know this person of Jesus. I invite the Holy Spirit of the living God into my broken, sinful life, and guess what I began to feel? A lot going on. You don't invite the holy God of the universe into your life and expect that everything just measures up, and you're like, woohoo, I've arrived. So really, I mean, sometimes in life when we first come to Christ, it may not be fully encouraging. The other one is, is there any comfort from love? doesn't specify His love, but love, because I would say the love we're experiencing is from Jesus Christ Himself, but also from His body. I know people that walk with Christ. Perhaps they, they isolate themselves. Perhaps they're too afraid to get into community. Perhaps they're scared of people or they've been burned before. And so they, they tend to just kind of isolate. And we know this is a very dangerous place to be because the idea is that we should have encouragement from love. And, and we're best going to experience the love of Christ through His people. Jesus Christ is the head, but he has a body. And so if you want a hug from God, and now don't get me wrong. There's people that will tell me they were laying in bed and, and, a, and a vision of Jesus came down and embraced them. And I am so radically jealous. I would love that with all my heart. But I would propose that for many of us, that hug is going to come from who? Other believers. It's other believers that will reach out and notice what's going on. Another condition, any participation in the Spirit. How many of you know what your spiritual gift is? You don't have to raise your hand. You can. To participate in the Spirit means that we're the body together. We participate in the gifts He's given His body. And the fact is, in America, if you ask most Christians what their spiritual gift is, they hum and haw. If you ask them what the gifts are, I mean, that's part of the problem. How do you know what your gift is if you don't know what the gifts are? And so many people do not participate in the Spirit. 
And then the final condition is any affection and sympathy. Now, this is a condition by which we enter into the mind of Christ. I, I love the mercy of Jesus. Jesus does not come down to broken, hurting. I loved what Will said a while ago. Depressed people and said, hey, I know your life is a wreck. I know you're hurting. Put on the mind of Christ right now. What does he say? If you've experienced my love, if you've experienced the fullness of being in my body, then we're going to move into putting on the mind of Christ. I will tell you, if you haven't experienced this, don't jump theoretically. Don't, don't jump academically to saying, well, I'm just going to put on the mind of Christ. I want to tell you, you need to stop and camp in this area. I'll tell you a good clue, and I'm embarrassed to say it. A good clue of whether you've experienced this thing is your willingness to share the gospel. Again, when I first came to Christ, I did not share the gospel. And the reason, quite frankly, is even though I had been told by some people, hey, you won't go to hell now, like, come on, I'm 20 years old. I'm not thinking about death. Like, I'd be happy if I made it to 30, because, you know, 30, you want to die because life... I've changed that age, obviously, the older I've got, right? But, but here's the deal. I didn't share the gospel with people, because why would I invite someone else into my misery? And I venture to say there's people in this room, and the reason you don't share the gospel, you can call it that you're an introvert, you can say you're shy, you can say you're scared. The reason you're not sharing the gospel is because you haven't walked in these conditions. And I want to tell you, there's no condemnation in that. What I would tell you is you need to get around believers. You need to get in community of faith, and you need to experience this. Don't jump to putting on the mind of Christ. And so we have a condition. The next thing we look at if we flip over is the command. He says, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. If you had to summarize that in one word, what would you say it is? Unity. So he says, if you have these things, the thing I want from you is unity. And so he wants us to walk in unity. How big a deal is unity? It's huge. In fact, I would say you're not going to have the mind of Christ until you have unity. We're going to see in a minute when it talks about the how-to. If you don't have unity, if you're not one with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're not walking with Jesus Christ, it won't happen. Jesus says it quite frankly, apart from me, you can do squat. Don't mean to be irreverent there, but I'm saying it ain't going to happen. Nothing will be accomplished. Here's how important unity is. On the night Jesus was going to the cross, on the night he was betrayed, in John, what did he pray for? Unity. How many of you guys are into apologetics? The, the defense of Christ. When I was growing up, I mean, it was a great, yeah, good, good, amen. When I was growing up, it was Josh McDowell. I'm so old now that there's a book by Josh McDowell with his son who also has a PhD. So they've kind of like evolved and, you know, like gotten real smart. Um, I love apologetics. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure you can argue another believer into the kingdom. I don't know about that. But, but let me tell you what I do know. The best form of apologetics, according to Jesus Christ, a super genius, is what? Unity. Here's what he prays on the night he's betrayed. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's us. 
That, that's every Christian walking the planet today. That they may all be... Is it up there? Good, okay. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Now, here's the apologetics. That the world may believe that you have sent me. One of the foundational arguments to apologetics is Jesus really the Son of God. Did God, the creator of the universe, send this man named Jesus, this this deity in flesh? And the answer is the only way to prove it's true is what? If we live in unity, it's huge. I'm not against apologetics, but I think sometimes rather than the movies we make and the arguments we give, that we need to get our unity in line. And when that happens, the world will actually believe. Because here's the deal. I don't know how many people are in here, 500, 400. You get 400 people all focused in the same direction. How common is that? Okay, it happens at a Dallas Cowboys game, but then they get drunk and fights break out, so that's not the kind of unity we're talking about, right? But I mean, the idea that people get behind something, the idea that when Mary comes up here and prays for missionaries going out, we got hands going out and saying, we want to be with these people and part of what they're doing, it's huge. Now, let's get to the how-to in specific. Some of you are very practical, and you're like, okay, we got the theoretical, we got unity, Big concept, but I can't really grasp it. What about the practical? And and I love it because Paul's going to give us some do's and some don'ts. So the first one is do nothing from selfish ambition. Let me ask this question. Is ambition bad? Is it bad to set out in life and say, hey, I want to accomplish this or I want to accomplish that? If it's bad, then Jonathan gave a poor sermon last week because a lot of what he described was work that involved ambition. So ambition is not bad. But the key word here is what? Selfish. I want you to think, if you were to list for me your top four goals right now, how many of them are selfish? Put down two fingers. I got some selfish goals, if I'm honest with you. Not all my ambitions are, I mean, now you might say, well, one's about my family, but that's really part of me. And so a lot of my ambitions can be selfish. Uh, Rather than harping on selfish ambitions, let me give you an example of someone without selfish ambitions. And so Taylor Morgan, who was introducing the video, followed by her sister, um, it was great. But um, she has baked, in the last couple months, listen to this, 100 dozen chocolate chip cookies. Check out this picture. So here's a post I stole off Facebook. Should be a Facebook picture somewhere. There we go. So, hey, y'all, I've got about three weeks left until I leave for Africa, so now is your chance. There's a number and everything. I don't know if she's still making cookies, but you could order them, try it. Uh, <laughs> cookies are $15 a dozen and eight and a half dozen. Now, as I say that, some of you are going, $15 for a dozen? Okay, it's for a good cause, for one thing. That should be enough. And here's the deal. Even if her cookies were miserable, $15 to help a child, a youth get to Africa and love people, and share. here's the deal. They're not awful. She's made a hundred dozen because they're really good. In fact, look at the picture on the right. This is her dad, Carrie, on his way to work in Boston, taking 25 pounds of 12 dozen cookies for his coworkers. So uh, I want to try this. How many of you seen in the lobby were collecting goods for Africa? This is a shameless commercial. I'm not even sorry. So here's, here's the contest. Raise your hand if you've brought something for our Africa trip and have not tried one of Taylor Morgan's cookies. Come on up. Okay. Or just come to the front. Condition number... Now, uh, 
Condition number two is that while I'm talking, you're sitting by your husband and the lady on your other side, you have to share because we're in church. So you, Now, the problem is once you've tasted one, the whole sharing goes out the window. So hand them out before you try one. And I just want you to feel the bag and tell me what you notice right off. They're heavy. They're heavy. So enjoy. So here's what I want to say. A hundred dozen cookies is somebody with ambition. But what's so beautiful to me, it's not selfish ambition. She could have sold that and bought a car. She could have sold that and bought a new MacBook. She she could have bought a lot of things. She's raising all the money so that she can go sleep in a tent and use a hole for a toilet and be around people 24 hours a day just to show the love of Jesus Christ. And so again, the how-to and the the model for us is do nothing from selfish ambition. The second one is conceit. Now, many, many uh, versions of the Bible include the word vain conceit. How many of you got up and looked in the mirror this morning? I'm not saying you're conceited. Relax. It's okay. I mean, some of you need to look in the mirror. And I, did I just say that? Wow. I had a Bible professor who always said to women, if the barn needs painting, paint it. It's not a bad thing. So some of us need mirrors. I get it, okay? But here's the deal. We're not to do things from vain conceit. So I'm going to make a confession to you. I probably shouldn't say this in front of my bosses like Dawn. Uh, I started working at this church a year ago, basically. And before that, I was a carpenter. So I was out in the hot Texas sun, sweating and moving and slinging boards and all that. And life was good. And I kind of had a nice waistline. I started working here. They put me at a desk. I was supposed to take people out to eat a lot. I put on in one year, guess how much? 30 pounds. Yeah. Okay. What do you think that did to my vanity? In fact, a year ago, I was at a hotel with my wife, and it was one of those fancy bathrooms where there's mirrors in front of you and mirrors behind you, and I yelled out, honey, I've got back fat. I didn't know that existed, and she looked at me and goes, you've had that forever, and I'm like, ah, and my vanity and my conceit was just, and so I'll be honest, we're getting ready to go on this trip to Africa, and I don't want to show up among starving people as a large man, and so I've been trying to knock it down. I'll be real honest with you, it's all out of vain conceit. It has nothing to do with my health. It has nothing to do with running to run a marathon or go hiking with David Ripley for 26.3 miles. It's that I don't want to look bad. And so a couple months ago, there's a next picture up here of a guy named Darian Nelson. Nope. That's a good-looking man, though. It's not Darian There we go. That's Darian Nelson. He's sitting kind of in the very back of the picture. So Darian is a great guy, plays football, and, you know, probably in playing football, was taught to eat a lot and kind of bulk up. And so he put on more weight than he wanted. And so he came to me and said, hey, uh, I'm trying to lose 100 pounds. I was like, man, dude, I'm trying to lose 30, and I can't do it, and you got 100. And so we started meeting together, and and i got to humbly tell you what Darian taught me transform my life and and why I live it the way I live it. I I asked him, I said, why do you want to lose this weight? And he'd already, you know, and and he said this. He says, in Corinthians, Paul tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we are to honor God with our bodies. And so here I am, the, quote, pastor, sitting with his youth, and I'm about to cry going, 
Yeah, that's why I want to lose weight for sure. <laughs> Blew my mind. And you know what's beautiful about it? He's not doing it from vain conceit. It's not so he can go out to the beach this summer and look good and get all the attention. It's because he knows he wants to honor God with his body. And, and praise God, he's lost 27 and a half pounds already. It's amazing. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's really good news. So we have do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I love this one, and I want us to kind of think about it. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look around the room. There's a lot of people in here, if I read this passage literally, that I should count more significant than myself. Now, in order to do that, i got to get to know some people. Because I look at some people, I'm like, I don't even know your story or what you're doing. But Jesus is saying through Paul that we need to count others more significant than ourselves. I love the phrase, the significant other, because that basically implies I'm significant and now there's one more significant, right? we got this little party of two going on that's a little bit selfish. But Paul is saying you need to count others as more significant than yourselves. So I got an example of that. I don't want to get you on guilt or kind of shame you or anything. Uh, there's a picture coming up. Hudson, Hudson Smith. I think he's on the far right. So Hudson Smith, look at that. That's a great smile. Uh, Hudson Smith is in Japan right now in Hito with Steve Headland's team. And so Hudson decided early in the year he wanted to go to Japan. He wanted to try to reach the people of Hito with the gospel of Jesus. And so he began taking off for it. Now, like an Africa trip, it's not cheap. And, and so Steve kind of led him through a process where there was like a deposit and then there were some payments due. And, and, and Hudson got to a point where he did not have the money. And so he goes over to G-Hop on Saturday mornings. They call it the Youth House of Prayer. And so youth get together and pray. And he's in there with another young man whose name I won't share because he asked me not to. And, and Hudson says, man, I don't, I don't got the money. It's due this week. And I've got my heart set on Japan. It ain't going to happen. Okay, I'm talking about two guys in high school. Guy number two looks at Hudson at the end of their prayer time. Now, don't go to G-Hop and think this will happen to you. Just relax. Looks at him at the end and says, I'm going to give you a check for 1200 bucks to get you to Japan. That's a youth. Not that youth don't do great things, but it was absolutely amazing. And so again, this youth number two, who I won't name, he considered others more significant than himself. I guarantee there were things he could do with $1,200. Like when I was a teenager, $1,200 would get me in a little junky car that would run for a while. Absolutely. And then the final one, the final how-to specific, is let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of what? Now, it's not a self-abasing thing. It doesn't say, hey, don't worry about yourself. Don't take care of yourself. Let it all go. But it says, look at your own interest, but also look at the interest of others. Look at the person on your right or your left. Do you know what their interests are? If it's a spouse, you probably do. If it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or a family member, you probably do. But, but you need to have a list going. You might need to ask some questions. You might need to do some interviews or take someone to coffee and say, man, what are your interests? And, and I love it. And, and forgive me for this. It doesn't simply say pray for their interest. Right? It says look to their interest. You're going to take your mind, you're going to put it in action, it's going to affect your heart, and you're going to, you're going to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. How, how weird is that? 
You ever read the book of Acts? What were they doing? Selling what they had, giving it to the poor, providing for each other, and no one had need. And as a result, the Roman Empire saw it and was radically converted. Now, there's some skeptic in here who says, that sounds an awful lot like communism. I had a Sunday school teacher one time, we were reading through Acts, and he said, that's communism, don't do it. And I was like, okay, time out. I'm, I'm a little kid here, but it just said in the Bible what they did. You can't tell me not to do it. So I, I want you to think about a story. Uh, I got a guy I met probably four months ago named Daryl Swenson. I want to show a picture of him. This is Daryl Swenson in December suffering from acute like leukemia. The first time I heard about him, I was a new youth pastor, and they said, hey, Isaac's dad, Daryl, has acute leukemia. Adults do not fare well with acute leukemia. And so we began to pray. It was funny. I was praying for this guy I'd never met. Well, Daryl, come on out and show us. I want you to see the difference here. It's pretty amazing. Was it work? You're live. Hello, hello. There we go. So that's not a great look. I don't know if this one's any better, but <laughs> it's gone a little off the rails. Uh, but it's a lot better to me than having no eyebrows. But in the, the passage, uh, Philippians 2, 4, it says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I love what God does with that and with anything that he tells us to do, because it's not always just about us and what we should do. It's also what else he's trying to accomplish. And what is he always trying to accomplish? To draw people to him. And he does that because he wants people to know that he is God, that he is powerful, that he loves us, and that he, when, when we speak to him, that he listens and he responds. So in the midst of all of my cancer stuff, I just asked for all these people to pray. Many of you prayed for me, but mm -hmm. I was in direct contact with about 200 people, and so at least two to 300 people were praying for me. And what I ask for is for miraculous healing, and if not that, at least to have a testimony to share. So in obedience, now, God, he did it all. Just, just so you know, just, just for an encouragement for you, he healed me in three days. Wow. I went into the hospital. I went into the hospital on August 9th. It's been almost a year now. On August 11th was the last day that anybody saw any cancer in my body. Mm. Not a typical cancer story, but God was doing something else. It wasn't about me. He wanted me to be the poster child for him to show all these other people what he is willing to do if we just talk to him. So what I did while I'm in the hospital is I, I was obedient and I gave my testimony as often as possible. Several times a week I was I was texting and emailing and writing letters, this long, way too long to go on a text, uh, testimony of what God did since the last time I, I spoke to everybody. And what God was doing is he was reaching out to all these other people through me. And so what I received back 
was all this encouragement of other people being encouraged. Other people coming to faith. People in prison, when I wrote letters to, to some people that I know in prison, their little group had people come into faith through my testimony because the Spirit was telling me what everybody needed to hear. I didn't do it on my own. I just sat there and, well, God, what do you want everybody to know? Hmm. And so he encouraged and he fed into and he, he captured the hearts of other people through my testimony, just simply being obedient. And to kind of wrap it all up, I was an atheist years ago. And so peppered through all these texting trees and email lists and all that were a bunch of my old atheist friends. And in the middle of everything else, they were witnessing not only my faith, which God gave me. I didn't do it on my own. God gave me this faith. And they were witness to that faith and all this encouraging feedback of, of other people's faith being raised up, other people's faith being, being uh, strengthened, and God being given all the glory for it. And that's how he sat there and just wheedled his way into the life of all my old atheist friends. Hmm. Right. Being obedient and letting the Spirit lead me. I was able to put other people in front of myself, and it was awesome. Amen. Thanks, man. Yeah, push the button. So I love it. Many of us, when we talk about looking to the interest of others, we think, man, you don't know what my interests are. I got news for you. If a man uh, suffering, possibly dying from leukemia can care about others, so can we. You agree with that? And the story doesn't end there. Sometimes God will use us even when we're not planning on it. So we are going to Africa this Wednesday. There's 18 of us going, 21 actually, sorry. Uh, and I began to realize that I drive one vehicle, but I needed another driver. And so I began to pray saying, God, uh, I need another driver. And so Daryl, who I'd never met but had prayed for a little bit, walks up to me at a meeting and says, hey, have you ever thought about taking a dad with Africa to you? And, you know, when that happens, you try to act nonchalant. Well, you know, I could pray. No, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You're an answer to prayer. And so, again, it's a year since he got clear, and he's on his way to Africa with 18 youth. That is complete healing, right? It's amazing. And so we close this passage with the example. What is the example? Jesus Christ. Have the same mind of Jesus Christ, who being equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Let me just ask this question. Some of us, when it comes to serving or putting on the mind of Christ, there's things we're hanging on to. We call them our rights, our privileges, our, our objectives, our prerogatives, our selfish ambitions, our vain conceit. And Jesus, what did he do with what he was entitled to hang on to? He let it go. There are things in our lives that need to be let go of. And so the example is Jesus, but I love it. It's not just the example, it's the power. The God of the universe does not write a letter and say, Hey guys, I want you to put on the mind of Christ. I want you to behave. I mean, that's radical. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and look to the interest of others. And like, give me a break. What human on earth wants to do that? What human can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit? We all can. 
And so we have here the example and the power. And I love Isaiah read it for us, and I would challenge you as you go home today, read it. What is the example and the power? And then finally, I love the reward. We go back to the end of the passage. I want you to listen to the reward. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Him is who? Jesus. And bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if I was a better preacher, if I wanted you to like me better, I would close this sermon by saying, if you humble yourself, if you put on the mind of Christ, if you do these things, there will be great rewards for you. And we would all walk out of this room going, woohoo, like that, I'll do it for the rewards. Here's the fact. Every book of the New Testament says that if you live like Jesus, you will experience what? Suffering. And I want to challenge us, the reward. Here's the reward, and, and Daryl just summed it up. The reward is that others will come to know Jesus. The reward of unity is not that we get to pat ourselves on the back and say we're the most unified church and don't we have better unity. The reward is people will know that the Father sent Jesus Christ. Because in that passage where it says every knee will bow and tongue confess, I want you to think about it. For some of us, it's going to be the greatest worship service in the history of the world. Arms extended, falling on our face and going, Jesus is Lord. For others, they'll be doing it in agony. The atheist friends that don't know Jesus that Daryl talked about, they're going to hit their knees. They're going to cry out Jesus is Lord to their own condemnation. But if you and I will put on the mind of Christ, if we will allow it to direct our emotions and our hands and our feet and how we act, it is possible by the power of Jesus Christ that others will come to know Jesus Christ. And so as we close today, I want to ask this question. I was getting ready for VBS. I got to serve in Tony's class. He's amazing. It's great. I'm like, the worship guy? Is that serving? Man, it's fun. And in the booklet they gave us, it was talking about how to present the gospel. And it was interesting to me because I think Miss Margaret, she gave us the booklet. It said, don't tell kids, invite Jesus into your heart. That's a big phrase we use in the church a lot. Invite Jesus into your heart. And I'll be honest, when I was a little kid, that was the weirdest thing on earth. That and being told I was the bride of Christ. I never wanted to be Christ's bride. <laughs> I've, since, I've since repented and I will be the bride. I'll wear the, that's fine. But the whole asking Jesus into our heart, and I want to ask this question. We tell people, ask Jesus into our heart. Here's the question. Have we asked Jesus into our mind? Because we're told to renew our minds. We're told to put on the mind of Christ. Well, here's how I want to close. And again, I don't, I don't want us to walk out going, man, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And why would I share the God? I, I want us to be encouraged. And so right now, if you're wearing a blue t-shirt that has a picture of Tanzania and Kenya, should be about 21 of you, I want you guys to come up front. And Don's going to come up right now and pray for us. And the reason I want these guys to come up, and I don't say this very often, this group of people right here are heroes to me. The, the cost for the three-week trip to Tanzania and Kenya is $44.50. 
So whether it's baking cookies or whether it's working their tails off or whether it's designing t-shirts, each of these students you see up here and adults has raised that much. The group going to Kenya, a little discount, $32.50. This is a picture of putting the interest of others before yourselves. And so Don's going to lead us in praying for this team. I'm going down because I'm, I'm with them. I want to be prayed for. All right. Thank you, Will. Don't we have a great youth pastor? So uh, appreciative of his leadership there. And this is an awesome minute to see this many people standing up front and saying, yes, Lord, send me. Uh, and so we are going to pray for them. Before we do that, I want to just remind you, because when I say amen, you're going to be dismissed. But if this is your first Sunday here, we would love to meet you. So there's a welcome area here. I think Will, if he can, will we'll be over there. To, uh, to greet you, and if you also want to talk with any staff or leaders, come on back to Connection Coffee, get a, a cup of coffee, and ask any questions. Let's do this. Let's all stand. We don't send teams out without gathering around them, do we? So uh, come on up here, many of you. Guys, step forward so people can come around you. We want to completely surround this team, so come on up. If you've never come up to pray for a team, would you come up? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for putting feet to, to the actions, to the, to the prayers. All right. Let's dedicate and just uh, really let our hearts enter into this and let our minds, as Will reminded us, let's have our minds engaged in what we're doing. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for this reminder. And, Father, we do pray for this team that they would have the mind of Christ that as they go, they would be engaging their hearts and their hands because of their minds, because you've done a work in them. You've drawn them to yourself. Father, we do pray for some practical things. Would you keep them safe? Would you surround them with protection? Would you keep evil away from them? Would you guard them from the enemy? Father, would you allow them to have health and vitality throughout this trip, that no one would... Lord, be so sick that they cannot accomplish what you've called them to do. And even if some of them do get sick, they'll still fulfill everything that you've called them to do. But we just pray for their health. We pray, Lord, that the love that they show one another, as we've been reminded, would be a light and a message and a drawing to those that they're around of who you are, that the Father did send the Son Lord, by their unity, by their love. Lord, would you cause all the gifts that they're, gonna t that they're taking to be used to be a blessing and to communicate how awesome you are, not how great this team is, not how good some church is back in America, but you, Lord, how great you are, and you're a giver. And Father, lastly, we pray that you would cause this team to love one another at a deeper level than they ever have before, to sacrifice for each other, to think of the other's needs first. And Lord, be glorified through all they do. Expand your kingdom in Tanzania and Kenya. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. 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 You're dismissed. <laughs>